Welcome to the Hanover Valley Podcast, a ministry of Hanover Valley Presbyterian Church. We are located at 133 Carlisle Street in downtown Hanover, Pennsylvania. Check out the rest of our website at hanovervalley.org. Thank you for listening. All right, turn if you would to Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Uh, The scripture is on page 6 in the bulletin for you if you'd like to check it out there. I decided this uh, spring and summer uh, into fall when I have my opportunities to preach here at Hanover Valley and other churches in our presbytery that I would preach through the book of Ephesians. And really, the only reason for that was I happened to be reading the book of Ephesians at the time and decided I wanted to do the book of Ephesians. And Ephesians is just so great. All of Scripture is wonderful and profitable, but as we read the book of Ephesians, it's so laser-focused on the work of the gospel, what Christ has done for us, and then how that work should influence our lives um, as a result. As we live um, with our families, in our churches, in our communities, in our workplaces. And so the first three chapters of Ephesians are really focused on what is God doing, what is Christ doing when he saves us, and what are we receiving as a result of that. And so in the first half of chapter 2, Paul talks about the fact that we must be made alive in Christ. And as Christ saves us, we come from death to life. We're no longer dead in our trespasses and sins, but we're new. We are alive. We are able to choose that which is good because Christ lives within us. And then as he gets in the second half of chapter 2, he begins to discuss the reality of the peace that we have as a result of newness of life in Christ. That we have peace with God and also peace with one another. In many of your Bibles, maybe it says uh, one in Christ. We've been unified with Christ and as a result of that, we're at peace with God and with each other. And as I was reading that this week, I was just struck with the necessity of this passage for us. Because the culture we live in, the world around us is just so broken and so fractured. There's such a a lack of a sense of peace within ourselves and within our relationships and within our world. And all of us desire peace, don't we? As we look at our lives, there's all these things that we do in search of peace. We look to our family and our friends. We look to our work for peace, when we feel anxiety and stress and a lack of, of ease in our lives, we, we go searching outside of ourselves for peace. And sometimes those things are those good things I just mentioned, or they go down a path of self-destruction. We decide we want to numb our pain. We want to numb the tension we feel inside ourselves, so we turn to things like alcohol and pornography We turn to things like drugs. We turn to um, just numbing ourselves with things like Netflix. I was talking to a pastor recently, um, and he was sharing some of his his life story with me. And um, a number of years ago, his son passed away tragically, unexpectedly. And and he really felt a personal responsibility for that happening. Uh, He was home at the time. It was just such a tragic thing. And and he was just remarking how, how that experience left him just feeling empty inside, left him feeling hopeless. He said he almost felt like he just lost the will to live. Everything just seemed so dark and gloomy. 
He felt so anxious and, and broken inside. And so he said in the evenings, he's like, you know, I'm not, I'm not partying, I'm not, you know, getting drunk, I'm not getting high, but, you know, I just watch hours of Netflix until I fall asleep. I just curl up in bed and I, and I just lay there because I can't deal with this reality that's in my life. And so we all try to self-medicate, whether in big or small ways, to try to achieve a sense of peace on our own. And from that reality, that tells me that each of us is in need of peace, and we're all searching for that peace. But so often we look in the wrong places for it, even in good places that promise to provide us the peace we so desperately desire. But as Paul is talking to the Ephesians at the beginning of chapter 2 and then halfway through, he says, your biggest problem The biggest issue in your life, the biggest reason why you're not at peace is not because you don't have something. It's not because something's happened to you. It's not because you're wrestling or struggling in life, but it's ultimately because there's a a disconnect between you and the God who created you and the God who loves you. And so he takes the Ephesians back to who they were before they were saved at the very beginning of verse of chapter two. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in the sins in which you once walked, that you were children of wrath separated from God. And then halfway through chapter 2, he takes them back again, and he says, Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. So he looks at them and he says, remember that once you were far away, you were disconnected from Christ. There was a separation that existed. And that separation exists for each of us apart from Christ, And so he brings us back to this reality that we must have peace with God. We must live in peace with him. So let's read the passage together and pray as we continue. <clears throat> Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called the uncircumcised by those who called themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, Excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought nearer through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together 
to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is the word of God. It never changes. It will never return void. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace, that you love us, that you died for us, that you give us your word written by your prophets and apostles, that it guides us and enlightens us and shows us more about who you are and how you wish us to live in this life. Pray that you would transform us by it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I said before, Paul is discussing this theme of peace. The reality that our biggest need in this life is to have peace with God. And Paul is talking to an audience in the church at Ephesus, the churches around Ephesus, who are predominantly Gentiles, those who were not part of the Israelite nation, those who were not Jews. And so he's talking to these, these Greek speakers, and to be a Greek means that um, you are not a part of the historic covenant people of God. And so as Paul gets into this and he's saying, remember who you were, as we start reading about Gentiles and circumcision and ceremonies and all this stuff, we can, our heads start to spin a little bit. Well, what's, what's he getting at? Well, he starts and he says, look back to who you were before Christ died for you, before you were saved. And before you were saved, you were a Gentile. And being a Gentile means you're not part of God's people, which means you don't have, let's see, you don't have circumcision, which is the entrance sacrament into the people of God, like baptism. Um, you were separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship in Israel. You were foreigners to the covenants of the promises, and you were without hope. And so as he makes that big list of stuff, that's some of those, sometimes these lists we just glance over, and we're like, okay, well, we, these kind of are familiar terms, but they don't mean much to us as we read them. But what he's effectively saying is that before you were a Gentile, you didn't have the gospel. The gospel wasn't preached to you. You didn't live in a community that celebrated the gospel. And as a result, you were without hope. Because in the Old Testament, prior to Christ, the only people who had the gospel were the Jews. As we talked about before, the, the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament all point to Christ. So when we think about sacrifices, when we think about cleansing acts, each and every one of them is supposed to point the Israelites to say, I can't measure up. I can't fix myself. I can't wash myself. I need a Savior. And if you were excluded from that, you didn't have the gospel. You weren't in a community that said, hey, this is Jesus. He loves you. Go to him. He, he desires for you to be in relationship with you. Here is our faithful God who all of his promises are true and sure. So they didn't have the, the promises of God or even ultimate hope because if they didn't have the gospel, if they didn't have love for Christ, and if that wasn't held out to them, they were without hope. Because, friends, there's no hope without Christ. Our hope is only in Christ. And whenever we try to find our hope our satisfaction, our peace in anything other than Jesus Christ, we will be left wanting. And so the hope that we need is Christ. As I think about this concept of being separated from the gospel, separated from the people of God, I think of um, when Sarah and I got married back in 
in 2016. We were both in the middle of college in Lancaster. She was going to Millersville. I was going to Lancaster Bible College. And so we packed up. We moved out to Lancaster County. And we've never lived very far from Hanover. We lived in Lancaster, then we lived in York, and now we're back in town. But there's a sense when you move out of town from the town you grew up in, in particular, there's this, this disconnect that happens. All these relationships that give you life, all these relationships that, that formed a, a very foundational aspect in your life, suddenly like, it feels like they're almost non-existent. Even though we have Facebook and cell phones and all these things, all of a sudden we're not able to get to all the birthday parties we were before. We're not able to go hang out on Sunday after church because we don't go to the same church anymore. And there was this sense where we felt this very real disconnect and isolation occur. And maybe as you've moved away from, from your homes and families, as you've changed and transitioned in your lives, you recognize that when you're far away from those whom you love, there's a real loss. There's this real ache and separation. And so Paul is saying, when you were apart from the nation of Israel, you were separated from those who love you most. You were separated from the God who loves you more than anybody else could love you. As you think about that, we think then about when we come back home for, for holidays or special visits. And it's like, oh my gosh, I get to see all these people I love, all these people that love me. And there's a sense of reunion. There's a sense of, of um, satisfaction in that. And so we all need to go back to Christ. And even though we are far away, we must be brought near. And the, the issue is, is that unlike when we go away on a trip or when we go away to college or when we move away and then come back, um, when we move away and come back, in earthly terms, we have the power to come back. We can hop in the car, we can hop on a, on a train, we can hop on a plane, and we can get home. But when it says that we were far off from God, when we were far off from the people of God, there's nothing that we can do to bring ourselves back to God. We ha do not have the power in and of ourselves to bring ourselves to peace with God. And that can be a scary reality for us because we like to think that we have free will. We like to think that we are in control of our lives. We like to think that we are the ones that, that choose how our life is going to go. But as we look at Scripture, time and time again, it says God is the one who does that. God has planned all things. God is in complete and utter control. And as we recognize that fact, we recognize that we cannot bring ourselves to do anything, but it is God who must work in our lives. It must, God, it must be God who brings us to himself. And in verse 4, verse 13, it says this, But now, in Christ Jesus... You who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Those of us who are in Christ Jesus, the story is not we were once far away and we were separated forever. Instead, Christ saves us, and he draws us near by his blood. Whenever you see the phrase in Scripture, but now, or but God, or but now in Jesus Christ, these are just marvelous phrases, because whenever you see the word but, it supersedes whatever just came before. 
So he says, this was true of you, but now you're in Christ. And if you're in Christ, then his blood covers your sins and you are brought close. You are brought near. There is no longer separation between you and God. So this morning, as we gather together, you are not far off from the kingdom. The fact that you're sitting here in this room, as opposed to all the other sorts of things you could be doing this morning, means that you are close to the kingdom. Whether you're in the kingdom, or maybe you're trying to see if you want to be in the kingdom, or you're reevaluating if you want to be in God's kingdom. You are near. And why are you near? You're near because Christ has brought you to this place this morning. And he wants you to be at peace. And the ultimate peace that we will receive in this life is by being reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And if we wish to have peace in our relationships elsewhere in our lives, we must first find peace with God. So the question is, how does that happen? How can we receive peace? Well, as we mentioned, we receive peace in the work of of Christ. In verse 14, it says, For he himself, that is Christ, is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. Notice that our peace does not come from within us. Our peace does not come from anything that we do, but our peace is found in relationship to our relationship with Christ, for he himself is our peace. Our peace with God is not found in us, it's found in Christ and his passive and his active obedience. The reality that Christ obeyed God entirely on this earth and that even now he intercedes for us in heaven. And the fact that when God saves us, he justifies us, he takes away our sins and he gives us the righteousness of Christ. That righteousness becomes ours, but it isn't ours. It's Christ's righteousness that's laid on us. We're clothed in it. We put it on like a robe. And when that happens, God looks at us and he sees his son, which means we're no longer under his wrath, but we're at peace with him. We're in harmony with him. We're tranquil with our relationship with God. And as a result of that, something else happens. As a result of our shared peace with God, Christ has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with his commandments and regulations. What he's saying there is that in his death, he's set aside the ceremonial and civil laws of the Old Testament. So we no longer need to circumcise our, our uh, eight day old boys to enter into Judaism. If you want to convert to Judaism, you don't have to get circumcised as an adult. You no longer have to make the sacrifices. You no longer have to follow all the other ceremonial laws in order to be part of God's people. And there was this, a, a, a large segment of the early church that believed you had to first become a Jew before you could be a Christian. And so there was this battle that was constantly being waged between Greeks and Jews. Because the Jews were saying, you're not real Christians. You don't look like us. You don't look like the people of God. You haven't done all the stuff that God's commanded us to do for thousands of years. So you need to get on board. But Christ himself says that he came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. 
And as the apostle writes time and time again, it's not about the law, it's about Christ. And our salvation and our peace with God and peace with each other is not found in our obedience to these laws, but is found instead in our relationship with Christ. So when it says the dividing wall of hostility is destroyed, he's saying this thing that has divided you, these religious rites, these ceremonial laws, these have been destroyed. They're no longer there. These, These things that have been erected have been removed. Because there's a sense where the Jews were like, we're God's people. We've got this. We're going to be saved. All you guys out there are heathens. You don't follow Yahweh. You are not God's people. And because you're not God's people, we're better than you. And if you want to come into our club, you got to be a part of us, and you got to come in. And so there's this hostility that formed between the Jews and the Greeks because of that arrogance and pride. So there's separations and divisions. And as we think of that example, which is what's being talked about in the immediate context of this passage, I think we can really think of a couple examples of how that works out in our day-to-day lives today. There are all sorts of ways that we divide ourselves, whether it be race or class, uh, whether it be what our profession is or what area of town we live in or what kind of friends we keep. There's all these things that we begin to divide ourselves over. Or how about this? We, we start to divide, well, well, you're a Baptist, and we're Presbyterian, so we're better. <laughs> or um, we, we view ourselves as better because, um, better than all denominations sometimes. And every other denomination tends to think that they're better than everybody else. And that's because they hold convictions that they're very strong, that they, they hold very strongly. And it's right and good to hold strong convictions. But if we hold those convictions over and above the shared reality of the gospel that we're saved by grace alone and Christ alone, if we hold that, those external things above the gospel, we're missing the point. If we look down on other people because of anything, if we choose to separate ourselves from people, particularly Christians, over anything that isn't a gospel issue, then we become just like the Judaizers, just like the Jews who were saying, you're not a part of this kingdom. You're not a part of this family. So what Christ effectively does in his death and in his resurrection as he saves us is he takes opposing viewpoints, he takes the ravens and the stealers, and he meshes them together until they're one people. There's no longer a dividing wall of hostility. There's no longer anything that can come between them in an ultimate sense. Because ultimately, we are all in Christ. And if we're in Christ, that's where our peace is. That's where our hope is. That's where our future is. And if that's where our mind is focused, if our mind is focused on not these external divisions that we have, but on what Christ has secured for us, the fact that all of us are in Christ if we believe by faith, then we will have true peace with one another. Because then we can hold loosely all the other things. Because the ultimate thing of value, the ultimate thing that we should be living our lives for is eternity, the fact that Christ has saved us to be his children. That is the most defining characteristic about us. So I think about this, uh, Sarah's engagement ring that we got her is um, a mixture of white gold and rose gold. And so it's, it's kind of like a vine-looking thing. And part of the reason why we picked it was because we liked the kind of the symbolism of the two metals 
kind of binding together into this beautiful, ornate ring. And that's what Christ does with his church. He takes people from all different backgrounds and he binds them together and he builds them into this beautiful work of art that he saves for himself. And as he reconciles us in Christ, we can live in peace with others. And we see that this is what God is doing in us. He's creating us into a holy temple. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. See, friends, when we are in Christ, we share the same family story. All of us have unique families, unique individuals and personalities within those families, unique shared experiences within those families. Maybe it's favorite vacations you go on. Maybe it's um, uh, a, a favorite spot that you all go to dinner weekly or monthly. Maybe it's um, a favorite story that you all have about a crazy uncle who did something on vacation. We all have these unique stories. And often what happens is that we get lost in these silos of our families. We get lost in these silos of our own personal experience. And then we don't look across at those even sitting in the pews around you, sitting in the chairs around you, and we don't look across and view those folks as family. But the reality is is that we have more in common with fellow Christians than we do even with our families. Because in the church, we are saved in Christ, and therefore we can have peace with one another. Therefore, the the petty things we fight about don't need to be fought about. We can talk and we can share as families. We all share the same story, and the story is that we are no longer strangers to God, but we are fellow citizens with God's people and member of God's household. And see how verse 19 to the end kind of matches up with verses 11 to 13. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone in him. The whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling which God lives by his spirit. All the things that we were once far away from by virtue of being Gentiles, we've now been brought into. All the things that we were missing out on, we've received. And that same story is true of all of us. And one day, we will see these things realized completely because right now we look at ourselves, we look at our church, because Hanover Valley isn't perfect. (laughs) We're messed up just like any other church. We have conflict and issues all the time. But in Christ, we have the ability to have peace with one another and to continue to strive for peace, peace that's not based out of our own work, but based out of the work that Christ has done for us. 
And so the question we have is we realize we can live in Christ. <clears throat> Sorry, we can live in peace with God. We can receive the peace of Christ. And we can live with peace, live in peace with others. The question we have before us then is why would we live at odds with those who will be with us for eternity? Why would we live at odds with those who will eternally be at peace with us? When that peace has already been established. And see, what this does is it, it frees us to have peace with those around us. Because we no longer have to worry about getting it perfect. But day by day, we can say, you know what? Today, I'm going to try to live more peace with my brother or sister. Today, I'm going to have that hard conversation and reconcile with that person that's really been bugging me. I'm going to reach across the aisle and talk with that person that uh, maybe I've never spoken to before for whatever reason. I'm going to extend it because God is not building a bunch of little tiny temples that he's going to separate and put himself in, but he's building us all together into one temple. Meaning that God is uniting us and that he's going to live in us communally. So we can't miss that communal aspect, friends, is that God has designed us to live in community and he's building us into a community that will be a dwelling place for God. So from this, we can see that we can live in peace, and it won't be perfectly, but because we have been brought to peace with God by Christ, we have received that peace, we can live in peace with others. So each day, friends, let's strive for peace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace that you love us, that you have made peace between us and God. that we are not far off, but we've been brought near. Thank you that we share the same family story as we stand before you this morning. Uh, you come close to us. You embrace us as your own. Pray that we would look at others, everybody we meet, as one for whom Christ died, but that we would um, seek to live in peace rather than animosity in a world that is so focused on being outraged May we be countercultural. Transform us by your grace, we pray. Amen.